0: A Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this episode, we're talking about a nice surprise that's come out of the world's forgotten continent. And of course, there's no arguing that that is poor old Africa. No one really does care so much about Africa except for China, do they, Keith? Well, they (laughs) haven't for a very long time. Hmm. So tell us the good news about what's going on there. Well,
1: this is a story that's appeared in the Evening Standard, which is a British newspaper. And it's looking at what they call the African Queen. Her name is Runa Alam. She's originally a Bangladeshi. And she has got a background in finance. Her family left Bangladesh. Her family moved to the United States. She studied in Princeton, clearly a super bright young woman. And she is now encouraging investment in Africa. So she has no direct African link, but she recognizes that Africa is the continent of the future. It's the world's second biggest continent behind Eurasia.
0: Is that uh, geographically or yeah, population. geographically?
1: Right. In terms of population, it'll be number one by the year 2100. It'll overtake China and India, and you'll have more people living in Africa. And so, what this woman is arguing to um, v- investors is that okay, investing has been fairly dangerous, it's not for the faint hearted. You've got the threat of corruption, political instability, and the difficulty of making decent returns. And so a lot of investors don't want to do that. But she is saying, look, I think that China is the continent of the future for a number of reasons. One, obviously, is, is the demographic one that we've just touched on. That's where the young people are. And young people are fantastic for economic growth.
0: Not ageing populations. Not ageing populations,
1: which is a risk that we've got with, well, you know, the concern about China is that it may grow old before it grows rich. Japan is all certainly growing old. And, and Russia has got declining population. So the great advantage of Africa is that you've got so many young, enthusiastic people. So that's obviously an important factor, which is why she is arguing that Africa, although it's not an area for amateurs, she believes that in fact you can find good investment activities. So she is she's very optimistic. The technical term is bullish. Yeah, right. <laughs> For Africa.
0: But see, this is why I, I wonder, because well, Africa still feels like the Western frontier in that it's not really spoken about. It's never really the point of being news stories unless it's atrocities of some sort. Like it doesn't feel like much good. News comes out of Africa, key. But it's
1: being badly served by the Western media. We only cover Africa if George Clooney or somebody, you know, you get an American Hollywood star of some sort, they create a story in Africa. They complain about violence um, against Africans or they're encouraging the adoption of African children, whatever it is. So their role, by the way, is that of a white intermediary. Um, in other words, that you have uh, the, the this white person male or female, who stands in front of a group of Africans who have just been slaughtered or who are dirt poor or whatever. And so this becomes an opportunity for you to understand what Africa is about through the eyes of a white person. Yeah. Because you won't understand it through the eyes of Africans. That That's the reasoning there. And the media um, treat Africa very badly. Again, this article in the Evening Standard is quite interesting that Africa has no firms in the Fortune 500, which is the listing of the 500 biggest corporations in the world, and there are only 400 firms with annual sales of one billion plus. And they're, they're, certainly, the money is is pouring into to Africa. Um, they found that uh, a recent study that um, there be an estimated 2.5 trillion dollars of consumer spending in Africa by 2030, which will be doubling the 2015 level. And in the year 2035, there will be as many people going for their first job in Africa as the rest of the world combined. This goes back to the demographic issue. All these 18-year-olds, as many 18-year-olds or 21-year-olds in Africa as you will find in the rest of the world combined.
0: Well, let's talk about the demographics there, though. I mean, I know it varies country to country, but what about education levels? I mean, a lot of these countries are still not educating women. They're very, very poverty-stricken. Well,
1: but there is a thirst for learning. And again, it goes back to the negative reporting by Western media that we seem to think these countries are dirt poor. But the important thing is that you've got a thirst for learning, something which I think we've covered before in this program is the way that if you go to a country like Nigeria, you'll see children at night sitting around the airfield because uh, they don't have a reliable supply of lighting in their own homes, but the airfield lights remain on throughout the night. So you take your textbooks and you and your friends go down there and you have your classes around the, the airfield. I was giving a talk on this and I mentioned this example and there's a person from General Electric who said they... Have realised that schoolchildren also sit on traffic roundabouts for exactly the same reason. General Electric are providing all these lights for, at traffic roundabouts in Africa, and the kids turn up and sit on the roundabouts and enjoy this excellent lighting. So there's a thirst for learning. Oprah Winfrey has given money for a, a school for girls in South Africa. And she was complained about in the United States, why are you giving money to Africans? There's a lot of projects back here in the United States you could put your money into. And she said, if I put money in into black communities in America, they'll end up buying running shoes, etc. Whereas in, in Africa, there is this real thirst for learning. So she's picking out the winners and she reckons the winners are more likely to be in South Africa than amongst her own community back in the United States.
0: Why aren't we seeing then more sort of entrepreneurial people investing more openly in Africa?
1: I think it's risky to try to invest in Africa because there is this issue of corruption, lack of rule of law, perhaps. It's not for the faint-hearted, as this woman points out, but then, you know, in the old days, investing in China was just the same. And yet people are making money through having trade deals with the Chinese. And the Chinese are very active in Africa, followed by the Indians. The World Bank um, a few years ago issued a report called The New Silk Road, saying that the Chinese and Indians have now overtaken the traditional investors like Britain and uh, the United States and France in investing in Africa.
0: So what are they investing in? What do the Chinese want from Africa?
1: Raw materials. Right. And that's the problem for Australia. At the moment, they like Australia because it's a stable country. There is a rule of law and we supply raw materials. But the Chinese are concerned that they don't become too reliant upon one source of supply. Which is wanted So they want they to distribute their suppliers. So they're opening up the African mines, which is risky for them. You know, they've had miners killed in Africa. In a way, you wouldn't get them being killed in Australia. You have mining accidents here, but we don't have any murders. Whereas in Africa, that does happen. And so what we see then is that the the Chinese are nonetheless willing to build up mine sites in Africa because that means that they're no longer so reliant on Australia. And at some point, they better say to the Australians, we don't need to buy your steel. We can get the steel or iron cheaper from Africa. That's their long-term strategy. Remember, we've got this one Belt, One Road initiative, the Belt and Road initiative from President Xi, So he's redesigning the global economy. The Americans get bogged down in all sorts of conflicts. The Chinese avoid the conflicts and are just redesigning the global economy with China at the centre. And some of that Belt and Road initiative also includes Africa.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about... The rise of Africa, the forgotten continent, the continent that no one really talks about unless, you know, to be fair, Keith, kids are kidnapped or there's tourists kidnapped off Somalia by pirates. That's right. Absolutely. Or Oprah Winfrey is opening up a brand new school or someone like that.
1: Which means we therefore miss the really big story, which is the economic development within Africa. And the fact is there is a growing middle class and that's the key factor. We've seen it in Asia. You know, you get the middle class developing in South Korea, Malaysia, Singapore, and that middle class then drives economic change. And in Africa, they've got a lot of youngsters and who are willing to learn. The other thing which is interesting is the fact that there are more mobile phones in Africa than in the United States. What? No. Incredible. That is amazing. That is amazing. And what, what they have done is to leapfrog... You know, the old era of landlines, which um, older listeners may remember.
0: So- <laughs> I remember, and I'm not that old.
1: <laughs> so, you you know, you'd be getting telegraph poles and the wires and all the rest of it. They've gone over that. They've, they've gone straight to mobile phones. They do mobile banking so that you can move money between accounts. In Kenya, it's called M-Pesa. It's really brilliant. So these are Africans that are very tech savvy. They've not gone down all that legacy stuff, part of wires and poles and whatever, they've jumped over that and are taking advantages of mobile telephones. There's a group in the United States that's produced a $100 computer. And so you just give kids this computer. You don't give them an instruction manual. If you've ever used as an instruction manual, you'll know it's a dead loss anyway. And the kids just take to these $100 computers and they are soon operating the computers
0: because they've got young, inquiring minds. And that's what you're talking about, a whole generation of those people in Africa. Absolutely. Let's talk about the different countries then because, I mean, they all differ. And you've got that West Coast, which is different, again, to the East Coast, East Coast. in terms of culture. And the, the West Coast seems to be much more underdeveloped. Is that fair to say?
1: No, it's not. Because no? you could do have Nigeria there, which is a, a powerhouse. Again, mm-hmm. very corrupt, but with immense amount of oil. And indeed, oil is now being discovered in Ghana. We didn't know there was oil there until we went looking for it. And you go looking for it, and suddenly you find out, Ah, oh, they've got oil here. And the United States recently, of course, is changing its development of oil through fracking. But the United States a few years ago was getting as much oil out of the west coast of Africa as it was from the Middle East, which makes you wonder why they're so still so bogged down with Saudi Arabia. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah. So as you go looking for these raw materials, you start to find them. And there's plenty of water in Africa as well. So the, there, there's a lot of development potential there. What they're missing out on, obviously, are skilled people who can do a lot of this development. But the value of this article, and particularly focusing on this particular person, is that we see a reminder about the value of investing in Africa. So if you've got some spare money, don't don't put all of your money into Africa. <laughs> But I'm not giving I'm not <laughs> licensed overly
0: to, encouraging
1: I'm not I'm not licensed to give financial advice but in fact um, uh, this person Runa alam and her company based in London are doing remarkable things and so she got this profile so she grew up in Bangladesh she was there for a very brutal time well it's East Pakistan really and she was there for the the, the war between East Pakistan and West Pakistan the creation of uh, Bangladesh So the family left when she was aged 11. The family moved to Iowa in the Midwest of the United States. And then when she applied to go to Princeton University, you might as well go to the top. She (laughs) applied to go to Princeton University to study development economics when she wrote on her application that she wanted to rebuild Bangladesh. Really very ambitious, very go-ahead. So after she graduated from Princeton, she then went on to work at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch. Mind you, she was working 90 hours per week. She worked very hard, very tough cookie. But it's a remarkable story. And for me, what was interesting is that if there were to be a story just on Africa itself, you probably wouldn't bother to read it. But the way the Evening Standard did it was to build a story on Africa's economic potential based around a very attractive woman. So well, she, that's you know, how you do anything. That's Keith. how you do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Sex sells, including <laughs> including investment. So you know, there's this lovely uh, photo drawing of her, really eye catching in the newspaper, and it just draws you in. You want to find out what on earth this African queen, as the paper calls her, what on earth she is about.
0: She's got credibility, though. She
1: has credibility. She's made a lot of money. You know, she's worked in hedge funds in the past. She's now created her own organisation, Development Partners International, an Africa-focused private equity firm which has been making successful bets on the African continent for more than a decade. So it's a really inspiring story, and we're doing it through the eyes of one woman who is a financial expert But through looking through her eyes, we're seeing a different view of the continent, not one that is drenched in blood.
0: Well, and that's worth a lot. It is. And has her opinions been endorsed by anyone of of consequence? Oh, I
1: think so, because she's able to raise the money. So her company, DPI, Development Partners International, operates in 27 countries and has a billion US dollars of assets under management in 21 investments. So she's actually a major player, which is interesting because, you know, we talk about China and India. So you've got this woman based in the United States who's also a major player. She's based in London as well.
0: It's just something that she's come out of nowhere with. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, uh, you know, Runa Alam is someone who's worth monitoring anyway because clearly she's destined for great things in the world of finance but she's also doing great things in the world of Africa.
0: But does she talk about which particular countries are going to be best placed to leap forward? You'd have to be one of her clients. You're not no, going to get that information for
1: free. No <laughs> way. She didn't specify
0: like, whether it would be Nigeria because South Africa always seems to get a lot of attention, but there's so many other countries. How many countries are there? Like 20-something oh, in There Africa? are
1: 54 countries. In Africa? In Africa.
0: So, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and you only think about South Africa and, she's and Nigeria. Uh, Well, yeah, Somalia because of the pirates. Yeah,
1: that's right. So there's a hell of a lot going on in Africa. And Alexander Downer, when he was foreign minister, was always very fond of pointing out that Africa as a continent has the fastest growth rate of any continent in the world.
0: But what does population mean? What do big populations mean about a country?
1: Well, what we're also seeing in Africa is a religious revival. And one of the things that's intrigued me, because, you know, I look at the role of religion in world affairs, And we see in a lot of Africa, particularly the southern part, the northern part tends to be more Islamic, but the southern part has got a flourishing Christian community, a whole series of different Christian communities. And I was intrigued with someone who'd come back from Africa and I was chatting to them in London. And they were talking about the British Industrial Revolution and how that was able to start from, say, 1750. And the people who did a lot of the finance... And a lot of the manufacturing were well-known Quakers like Cabris and Roundtree that you might have heard of, probably still eating their products, right? (laughs) So they got into the business of manufacturing and they were trusted because of their religious background. It was assumed if you're dealing with Quakers, you're dealing with honest people. And we're seeing now the same process happening in Africa that people who become uh, get a reputation being good Christians, good clean living people, are people that you can safely do business with.
0: Oh, which is funny because not all religious people are clean living, as we know, Keith.
1: No, that's right, but they're problems in the Western world rather than, I think, in Africa.
0: Do you think? Yeah. They're much purists.
1: <laughs> You're such a cynic, Kate. <laughs> but I've got to say that, you know, the, this, this is yet another dimension to this because when you look at how Britain's economy picked up after 1750... Religion tends to get neglected, but you've always got to bear it in mind as a social factor for economic growth.
0: So people need to spare cash, think about Africa.
1: Exactly. Keep an eye on Africa, because if you're a miner in Australia, they're going to be your competition into the future, because the Chinese will want to buy from your stuff rather than the Australian's.
0: So just thinking about it like that. The world
1: is interconnected. Keep an eye on Africa.
0: This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.